Welcome to the LSQ Podcast. Our church began in April of 2017, and our vision is to joyfully live as reflections of God's love together in the city. This podcast will primarily feature sermons from Sunday worship and the occasional bonus content. We hope you'll subscribe. Today's scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you too will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Grace. Good morning and welcome again to Redeemer Lincoln Square. We are a church seeking to live joy, reflecting God's love, trying to do it all together here in the city. That's our vision, to um, live joy, to reflect God's love, and to do it together in the city. And that's why we started a series weeks ago looking at questions that Jesus asked to try to develop curiosity in, our, in ourselves, to try to develop the skill of being curious people, because I would argue that being curious, the definition of it is, is less inward-facing and more outward-facing. It's, it's a prerequisite to look out into the surroundings to live joy, to uh, reflect God's love, and to do it together in the city. And therefore, I think today, to deal with today's passage, we have to, to do that. Now, here's a feature of our culture today. Every culture, every, every society ever it always has values, things that it prizes and, va- and holds high. Today, one of the biggest ones is this. It's the value of openness. It's the, the, the value of acceptance. And therefore, one of the largest sins, maybe the worst sin, is judgmentalism. Now, some of you will say, well, no, well what about racism? What about sexism? Aren't, th- aren't those worse? But those are just judgmentalisms towards particular types of people. So it's still there. I think this is why we have phrases that we love saying. We say, hey, no judgment. And we say, hey, you do you. Live your truth. See, what those phrases are saying, it's saying the worst thing you could possibly do is not accept somebody's identity as they define themselves. That's the word we live in. And that's why I think today's passage is very appropriate for us. It used to be when America was a little more Christianized, maybe the most famous passage was John three sixteen, right? God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Today, I would argue, this is one of the most quoted passages. The King James Version is, judge not lest you be judged. And so here we live today, we live in a world with this high cultural value of openness and acceptance and no judgment. And yet, what's so fascinating to me, and maybe to you, so ironic is that simultaneously what we're watching right before us is the rise of cancel culture. We're watching the rise of saying, hey, no judgment. You create your own identity as long as I accept it. And if I don't accept it, what's cancel culture? 
you're dead to me. I don't see you. I don't accept you. I don't love you. I don't want to be around you. And what's happening right now in your phones, there are algorithms that are designed to make sure that you only see the content that you want to see. And the reason why your phones are doing that is because you'll stay longer on those platforms to see the ads to make more money for those companies. But what's happening because of that, as great as it is to see the content you want to see, is now you don't actually have to ever see somebody from a different tribe, from a different point of view. And so ironically, as more connected as we are to each other, actually the less connected we are to people who we disagree with, which is why sociologists are discovering that today, right now, when it comes to political parties, Democrat to Republican, Republican to Democrat, what, you're, what, what they found is actually the majority of each party doesn't just think the other side is wrong or, or misinformed. They actually think they're, they're evil. And so what's, what we're seeing is that we're seeing people, so, social scientists have pointed this out, is that we're dividing culturally at an incredible rate. We're tribalizing, we're fragmenting, all the while, ironically, we're saying to folks, no judgment. And so what's happening is we're living in one of the most judgmental spaces while it's telling each other, no judgment. And so the question I want to ask this morning is, is what do we do about this? Because this is, a, this is a real problem, and it's an increasing problem, and it's leading to f- not just fragmentation and tribalization in, in general, it's leading to real re- relational loss. I bet you people in this room We've all lost relationships in the past couple years. Either we walked away from them, or they've walked away from us. And so loneliness and anxiety and despair and fear, these are all increasing. We're, we can actually measure them. We're seeing them happen, but not just uh, kind of globally, but actually individually. So what do we do? I think we can look at this text in three parts. We're going to look at wrong judging, right judging, and then the way forward. Wrong judging right, good judging, and then the way forward. So first, wrong judging. Look at the first verse. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. And so, of course, you, what you should always ask of a text is say, what is the person saying here? What, what, is, what are they trying to get at? Is Jesus trying to say to us, you're not allowed to judge at all? So no more uh, Yelp reviews, guys. No more saying, I've eaten this food and I don't like it. No more thumbs up, thumbs down. You're not allowed to go onto your social media and put a little like or a, or a heart. Is that what he's saying? Is he saying no more movie critics? Is he saying no more, um, what else are you saying? Is he saying no more performance reviews from your work? You should go into your boss and say, hey, listen, no judgment, so we can't have performance reviews. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? If you get mugged or robbed on the streets, do you go to the person and say, hey, you know what? No judgment. You do you. Good. We're good. We're good here. Is that what Jesus is saying? No, of course not. He's not saying that at all. In fact, if you look in our text, just six verses after this statement, he's calling people dogs and he's calling them pigs. So clearly there's judgment here. In fact, later on in other passages, Jesus tells us that we do need to judge well. And so whatever he means by saying do not judge, it can't mean, it can't can't be like a, a fiat overall. In fact, justice demands judgment. Jesus makes judgments in there. And then, therefore, I think what Jesus is saying here is, he's saying there's particular types of judgments that we we should not do. And I see two in our text. There's two wrong ways to judge. Number one, prejudice. I know this because the parallel passage to this event in Luke chapter 6, verse 37, Jesus uses a modifying word, condemn, as to not judge. And condemnation, 
to really condemn somebody rightly, you have to know everything about the situation. And so if you condemn and you don't know everything, if you don't have the full evidence, there's prejudice. The word prejudice literally means prejudging. And so if you say this, if you say, I hate all New Yorkers because they're rude. If you say Southerners are all fake. If you say young people are all fickle. If you say old people are all grumpy. That's called prejudice. And we know that. That's easy. But what we don't realize is prejudice is also a spirit that likes to play up the issues of others so that you can write them off. It's a fault-finding heart. Because when you're finding fault in everybody else without the full nature of what's really happening, without all the evidence, that's prejudice. We don't often call it that, but it is, number one. Number two, the second type of judging that I see in the text, look at verse five. It says, you hypocrite. I don't know if you know this, but most, I think, I think it's nine out of ten Americans say that Christians are hypocrites. Nine out of ten, ninety percent of Americans say Christians are hypocrites. Now, you say, why? Well, what's a hypocrite? A hypocrite is not just somebody who says one thing and does another. That's, that's being duplicitous. A hypocrite it says one thing, does the other, but does it in a spirit where they exalt themselves in the process. This is Jesus' chief complaint against the Pharisees because they play up the sins of others while playing down their own sins. And they're saying, so essentially it's the spirit of saying, hey, I'm not, I'm not being, um, I'm not just playing up somebody else's issues. I'm, I'm, I'm pointing them out. I'm, I'm, I care about truth. It's, it's, it's the spirit where it's not saying, hey, I'm not being judgmental. I just, I just care about what's right and what's wrong. And I need to pause here because I need to be careful. Because, yes, you should point out abuse. Yes, you should point out injustice. Yes, you should point out wrongness and sin. But the way you get labeled a hypocrite, and I think the reason why Christians in America have this reputation now is because when you play up the sins that other people fail at, but you happen to be good at, and you play down your own sins that you hide from the world and you hide from other people, that is being hypocritical. And so Jesus is saying, no, we need to go deeper. What he's doing, this, he's doing this is what he's doing to all of us. He's saying, hey, how much when we point the finger in our cancel culture, in our space, when we point the finger at other people, how much of what we're doing is less about truth and more about wanting to feel validation? More about wanting to feel or, uh, and get away from our own insecurities, our own inadequacies. I saw uh, an article on CNN a couple weeks ago about Marie Kondo, who um, she wrote the famous book in 2011, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. I remember when it, when it showed up, I remember going around into my house to every object and saying, does this bring me joy? Does this bring me joy? It was a big deal. It, it, it swept the nation, so to speak. And yet, she actually did, just did an interview recently where she talked about how the person who was known as the face of tidying up, she, she just had her third kid, and she said, you know what? I've given up trying to have a tidy house. <laughs> because when you have three kids, it doesn't matter how much you clean, it is just going to get ruined the minute it's done. And so she says, that's not how I get my identity anymore. This is not a priority for me. And as soon as she said that, the judgments came in. How dare you? How could you? You're not allowed to change like that. You can't, you can't do that, and which is so fascinating, isn't it? Because we live in a culture that says, choose your identity. You know, you do you, and then the judgment. 
Why? Because essentially you can live your truth as long as it doesn't bother me. Which means what? We've all become hypocrites. Every single one of us. This is why I, I do think if we became curious people, if we became people that are interested in the world and not just ourselves, we would start with a listening spirit. Because a listening spirit wouldn't say, yeah, you know, those non-Christians, they say they're all accepting, they say they're all loving, but they're really judgy. If you do that, that's prejudice. That's, that's a label. See, you don't even notice that, but it's a label that you just apply to everybody. If you say, yeah, those judgmental people, I really, I think they're terrible. I don't want to stay away from them. What you're doing is you're judging those people who you just said are judgmental. That's breaking the second, the second thing Jesus has said here. That's being hypocritical. And, there, and this is what's so terrible about these things, is that it's evil because you can't even see the evil. And it's something that we do every single day. It's the wrong type of judging. Number one. All right. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after worship on Sundays. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastoral team and other members of our church community. If you have a question, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us at Q&R on a Sunday morning. And now, back to this week's sermon. Second thing we see here, fine. Then what's the right kind of judging? What's good judging? Well, Jesus tells it to us, starting in verse 3, but he does it comically. Jesus was a funny guy. Because look at this, this, uh, this image. He says, imagine you get sawdust in your eye. I ride my bike around the city, and, and particularly in the summers, it's a lot, there's a lot of dust out there. And even though I have glasses— uh, dust gets in my eye all the time. And I have to pull over the side, and you're kind of, your eyes are watering, and you're trying to dab it, and you're trying to get rid of it. And so Jesus is ima- saying, imagine that's happening to you. It's painful. You can't see straight. And now imagine a brother comes to you and says, hey, I want to help. And you can't really see because you're kind of, you know, blinded at least in one eye, and you're looking at this person, and they're coming at you to try to help, and they have a log. They have a pl- it says here, a plank sticking out of their eye. Back then, planks were like 20, 30, 40 feet because they were whole trees that they had sliced. And so it, that's, that, that's, that's kind of funny to see a rafter beam coming out of somebody else's eye. They're trying to help you with your eye when they haven't been able to see out of their own. In middle school, I was in this epic snowball fight. I still remember it. Um, snowball, I mean, that's back when we had snow in, in New York. Um, <laughs> Maybe that's too soon to say that, but I, I dove under this bush to get snow, and, which means there wasn't a lot of snow, right? Because I had to find it, you know, under the bush. And as I was going for it, I was going too fast, and this twig went straight into my eye, and I couldn't see. And I had to go to the doctor, and they put these yellow drops in my eyes, and um, they had to do that because they had to get the splinters, all the pieces, the wood fragments that were in my eye out. Now, if that doctor— had a tree in her eye, <laughs> there is no way I would have gone to her or she couldn't even help. So what are the two things that I think that are in here that says that of the good kind of judgment? Number one, if you want to really be able to help somebody, this, this passage is saying you have to see your own problems first. If you really want to help someone, you have to examine your own eyes first. So Jesus is saying this, to do judgment— you can't help anybody else if you can't even see your own logs. 
So I'm going to give you an example. Say you want to help your friend because your friend has resentment. Your friend has uh, a sourness, a bitterness about them, and you see it, and you see how it's like ruining them and the people around them, and you say, you know what, I'm going to help them. This is saying that until you come to terms with your own planks, it's quite possible that what you think about your friend who's filled with resentment, it's possible that you're just really overly sensitive to those things because you haven't dealt with your own trauma and your own issues. And so you're overseeing these things. Right? This is always funny. I always think that you see rightly what the other person sees wrongly. It's always you. There was a study about this that um, the percentage of people who think everybody else is a bad driver, it doesn't make sense because everybody else is the worst. Everybody's saying about the other one, they're the bad driver. Or if you look at confidence levels in Americans, you know, are, are you... Are you better than the average person? Everybody says that because everybody thinks they're better than the other person. Because I think it's because our own planks blind us from our ability to really help people where they are. Our own planks think that we think what we can see well in the other person. So maybe this, maybe you have the plank of approval in your eye. That means you, you need people to like you, and you can't really see it, but everybody else around you can see it. How you come off, how you're over-eager to please, how easily hurt you are when you hear criticisms, how decentered you are from, from your own guidance, from your own goals and convictions when you get the slightest disagreement, the slightest pushback. This is a hypothetical person, this isn't me. <clears throat> This, hypothet this hypothetical person to do plank removal is something they would need to do on their, their own lives, in their own hearts, before they're going to be able to judge other people well. And so again, I have to say this again so you don't hear me wrong. This is not saying you don't call out people. This is not saying you don't care about truth. What it is saying is you're going to have a distorted view if you haven't done the deep, regular checking in the mirrors of your own eyes. That's how you do good judging, number one. Now, number two, not just seeing clearly, but secondly, you have to do it carefully. Why? If you're going to the mirror to try to get rid of that log, here's the problem. If the logs are in your eyes, you're not going to be able to see what's really wrong. You need friends. You need a church community. You need other people to help you see but if they're coming at you with a blowtorch to try to burn out those splinters in your eyeballs, you're going to run the other direction. If your friends are like, hey, I want to help you, but I'm going to bring some sandpaper to kind of file down those splinters in your eyeball, you're going to run the other direction. Why? Because this is, that your eyes are sensitive. That you have to, do, this exercise has to be done carefully. When I went to that doctor, and I had those, those I actually had splinters in my eye. It took hours careful, methodical, slow process to help. You must take great care. If you go to Galatians chapter 6, the first verse, Paul says, confront, but do it gently. That's a whole separate sermon right there. That Do we live with that mantra? Do we confront? First of all, we're supposed to, but do we do it gently? I would argue that unless you judge yourself first, unless you seek a deeper understanding about your own planks, about your own wood pieces, you will not be careful with the eyes of others. You will not be gentle. 
um, in the Pirates of Caribbean movie, there, uh, Jack Sparrow, I think in every single one of the movies, he says regularly, seek that opportune moment. Seek it. Because he was an opportunist, which means there, there are times and places to move in other people's lives. And I would argue we have to be the same type of people to restore gently, to critique, to judge. We have to start with ourselves. And if we did so, we will be surprised by how much better our judgments would actually be for other people if we start by seeing what's in our hearts, what's going on in our lives. I think one of the reasons why we're always perpetually uh, angry at each other is because we don't see the beams of blindness. We, don't, we can't see the beam blindness in our own hearts. And what's happening is, is that when we're blind to our own wrongdoing, when everybody else can see what we can't see, then nobody's going to listen to each other. That's what's happening. That you can't help other people with a beam in your eyes. So before we move on, where are your beams in your life? Where can't you see because you're too busy seeing the problem in that other person? Right? Do you find yourself mad or frustrated by a particular person in your life or maybe a particular group of people in your life? What, uh, why do you think that might be? What, if you looked at your own life in your own heart, have you an, analyzed that to maybe get at the root of why that is? I would argue that you can't help other people with their approval issues until you work through the planks in your own eyes. Unless, you issue, unless your issues are larger to you and greater to you than what you see in others, you are going to always have a distorted view. And friends, let me just tell you this. You're going to have lots of judgments in your life over your time. Who to date, who to marry, who, what jobs to take, what, how to raise your kids, what schools to put your kids in. Every day is filled with discernment, but if you don't like conflict right now, what this text is saying is there are people out there who need you to help them with their eyes. But if you love conflict and you're out there right now, you love to point out the issues, this is saying that the way that we need to do that is to start with spying more on our own splinters than on the eyes of others. That will lead to good judgment. Now, last point. Number one, don't be prejudiced. Don't be hypocritical. Number two, see your own planks. Take them out carefully in other people. Now, last point then, how? Right, what, what is the way forward for us? The answer that and it took a long time for me to find it in the text is in verse 6. That Jesus comes, comes through here and says, dogs and pigs. And you need to know something. 2,000 years ago in Jesus' time, dogs and pigs were considered ceremonially unclean. These were, spiritually speaking, you weren't supposed to put yourself around these animals. And so what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, you would never give something precious or sacred to that which was going to just trample on it and throw it away and not, and not see it as such. There's another parable that Jesus tells about a farmer who, who finds a pearl, something, a treasure, preciousness in a field, and he goes and sells everything to get that preciousness. But if you con contrast that with our verse, dogs and pigs would never do that. They couldn't and wouldn't, because why? They're, they're ruled by their stomachs. They can only see what's in front of them. They can only see what's most important to them. If you today are saying to yourself, hey, yeah, 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 I want to love Jesus, but first, blank. Hey, I, I, once, you know, I, you know, once I get married first, then I'll love you, Jesus. Once I get, you know, the happiness I need, then I'll follow you, Jesus. 
once I, uh, you know, get the suffering off, once I start feeling better, once I get what I think I need, then I'll actually do it, Jesus. You know what that is? That's being ruled by your desires. That's being ruled by your stomachs. That is, that is what Jesus is saying here. That's what dogs and pigs do, and they trample on what's precious and valuable. And so this is the secret. You aren't the farmer. The farmer who sells everything and gets what's precious to them. Jesus is that farmer. He sells all that he had to get you, and then to get those pearls, to give him away. And you know what we did? We tore him to pieces. Dogs and pigs tear that farmer to pieces because we rejected that offering. And what he does on that cross, what he's doing is, is he's dying to get the judgment for all the improper judgments that we do every day that we might even recognize in our own hearts. So when he cries out, what does Jesus do on the cross? He cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's getting the judgment. That's actually a quote from a psalm. If you read the full psalm, it says in there, there are animals like dogs and pigs tearing them apart because that's exactly what's happening to him. And you say, how's that good news? It's good news because the sooner that you see these planks, the sooner that you see dogs and pigs and all, the sooner you can finally and fully get the full and complete acceptance from Jesus. That Jesus on the cross, this is what he's doing. He's not saying, stay away, you messed up. Right? He's not saying that, I have to pay, so stay away. No. The last thing, the very last thing he says is, it is finished. It is done. And the good news is this, is that he took our planks. How? Because he was nailed on those planks, on that cross, and now the last thing for us is to live accepted full lives. So I've been wondering all week, what would it look like if I really fully believe this? What would it look like? How would I live? I think the first thing that would happen is this, is that if I didn't feel judged all the time, the way I judge other people, the judgmentalism that the arch culture says is wrong and I agree with, we would, it would actually be dealt with in my own hearts. Because I think many of us, and I'm going to throw myself in here too, the reason why we walk around always wanting to point out the planks on other people is because, you know why? The sin and the shame and the guilt that you and I all have, it just feels good for a little bit to point out and see, the, see it in somebody else instead of looking at it in myself. That's actually what's happening right there. But what if I really understood the complete and utter acceptance I have in Jesus? What if that was a beauty? I was watching a show with my girls last night, and um, I'm going to I'm, I'm keep it very general so I don't r- ruin it for any of you, but um, the, the antagonist, the bad guy in the show takes the misdeeds of various individuals and haunts them with him. So he, this is what he does. He takes what's in your heart and he says, I know your faults, and you're, because of them, you're never going to be whole. You're never going to be free. You're never going to be accepted. All those secrets that you hide, all those things you try to ignore, he weaponizes them against you. And it was very, it was very powerful because even though this, this is a bad guy's personified, we all know that feeling in us. We all know that those guilt and shame cycles that we have. And yet there's a scene where the friends of one of the victims, as she's lost, as she's stuck, they put headphones on her and play her her favorite song. And in the process of hearing the beauty of this song, she's reminded of her friends. And she's reminded of connection and love and hope and beauty. And it brings her back. And it literally saves her. 
And I know this is like a sci-fi movie, you know, show, but I, I, I can't help but weep. I'm, I'm crying there last night because that's the story that changes us. That the, the world every single day is telling you, you don't add up. And your own individual hearts at various places is saying the same thing. Some of it is fair, a lot of it is not, but it's happening to you. And yet if light and beauty can ground this girl in this story from a catchy song into momentary friendship acceptance, how much more could the image of light and beauty and hope and truth, the ultimate song singing to us that the Lord has come, that he saved us not just from death, but from cosmic destruction. And he pulls us out and dawn breaks into our hearts anew that you are a sinner but saved, that you are broken but not lost or forgotten. That is acceptance unto the end. Friends, and that's what's being offered to us. Love and beauty that changes. Tom Skinner, African-American, raised here in New York City. Uh, He wrote in his memoir what happened after he became a Christian. He grew up hearing, you know, most people know this, this, this phrase, you know, love your enemies. Very Christian phrase, right? But it never really impacted him until he became a Christian. A few weeks after that, he was playing a football game, and he made this good block on on, um, another, the opposite team, and the kid that he made a block block on got up, started screaming at him, threw off his helmet, started beating him, kicking him, knocked him to the ground, saying all kinds of racial slurs that, that we won't repeat. And yet before conversion, Tom says in his memoir, he says, you know what, I would have gotten up and I would have beaten this kid to a pulp. Instead, much to his surprise, he woke, he got up, he wiped off the dirt, he looked at him and said, because of Jesus, I love you. That kid got so mad, (laughs) he ran off the field, left his helmet, didn't come back to the game. Later on, in the locker, the boy came back to Tom and said this, said, Tom, you've done more to knock prejudice out of me by telling me that you loved me than you would have if you had socked my jaw in. Why? Because this boy knew he deserved that right hook, and yet he got grace, and it changed him, and it could change you. Now, Tom later on in his life, he actually goes on and spoke out a lot against racial injustice Why? Because forgiveness is not the enemy of justice. Instead, it just changed it. It changed how we would go about it. It would would change how you would interact with other people and how you judge them. Friends, if you're changed, you will change others because you will properly criticize them, understand our own planks as we see them nailed to the cross. And that's because of the beauty and the wonder and the love and acceptance. Friends, this is love amazing, so divine. Get your bitterness emptied so then you can actually help other people's bitterness. Get your approval filled in Jesus so you can handle your need of approval. And it all starts by discovering our own planks. What I've just been doing just this past week is seeing how the root of my critical spirit towards other people, it's rooted in my own planks and in my own wounds and my own issues, my own experiences, and yet Jesus loved me to the stars. He he saw them before I ever saw them. He sees them better now than I even see myself now. And the more that's become real to me, the more it becomes real to you, your heart will be occupied by this wonder, right? Love when we're unlovely. Love when we're unlovable. And then it allows me in small ways 
to love other people even in their least lovely states. You'll be able to turn like Tom to people in the moment. I tend to get so heated in the moment. It would just be love. Don't just be aware of this love, friends. Don't just know the fact of love. See and experience this love. It's in you now. Friends, if you go and say, yeah, Jesus died for me, and that's just a cognitive thought and doesn't move you, you don't get it. You haven't gotten it yet. You have to feel it for you, applied to you, for you. And when you are, then you will cherish you like a pearl. You would sell everything else and grab it and hold on to it because that's life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would stare at this, this beauty. Father, we need songs. We need, we need reminders. We need joy. We need beauty. And yes, tangible, physical stories and movies, they, they all point to the true and ultimate one. They're reflections and aspects of the real deep one that we need to find deep-seated in our hearts to bring us joy, to change us into people who are curious out in the world, Father. We're, everybody here has have different concerns and cares. Just for a moment, help us to say, love so amazing, so divine. Move our hearts, we pray these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We pray that it's a helpful resource as you process aspects of Christianity and grow in your faith. To learn more about our church, including details about Sunday worship, check out our website at RedeemerLSQ.com.